Hi, I'm Stefania Van Dyke, Senior Interpretive Specialist at the Denver Art Museum. For the exhibition, Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature, we created a conversational audio tour in which the exhibition's co-curators, director Christoph Heinrich and chief curator Angelica Danio, talk about Monet and his work. We also interviewed five non-art experts to offer unique perspectives that could help visitors look at Monet's paintings in a new way. In this series of podcasts, we expand on those conversations. Here I talk with Tamara Kilbane about water lilies. My name is Tamara Kilbane, and I'm the curator of the aquatic plant collection here at Denver Botanic Gardens. Great. As you know, our exhibition is looking at Monet's relationship to nature. The finale is focused on his water lily pond because he essentially painted nothing else toward the end of his life. Tamara, tell me about water lilies, some key properties, unique qualities, that kind of thing. Uh, water lilies are aquatic herbaceous plants, so they don't have woody stems that persist through the winter months. They die back in the fall. New growth comes up in the spring. They can be found growing in bodies of still water, so no rushing water or waterfalls like the one next to us here that will be splashing the leaves. They grow from rhizomes in the muck at the bottom of the pond. Could you explain rhizomes? A rhizome is just basically the root system of the plant, kind of the storage as well at the bottom of the plant. So tulips grow from bulbs, the water lilies grow from rhizomes, so do iris. Rhizomes grow horizontally through the mud at the bottom of the pond. Tubers would grow vertically, so tropical water lilies actually grow from tubers. But hardy water lilies are the ones that Monet grew and painted, and those grow from rhizomes. So the leaf and flower stems actually come directly off of the rhizome and they actually have air pockets throughout the stems that make them buoyant. And then they grow quickly to the water's surface and then the pads float right on the surface of the water. Great, could you please tell me about the symbolism of water lilies? Yeah, in a lot of cultures, water lilies and lotus, they see them as a symbol of purity, enlightenment, and perseverance. So because they rise out of the muck, but they are clean. So with lotus even, they have tiny bumps on the leaves, microscopic bumps that actually when the water hits them, it washes off dirt and debris as well. So they're self-cleaning. So that's a big source of symbolism for many cultures with water lilies and lotus. Monet was obviously obsessed with water lilies. How'd you get into it? What intrigues you about them? From a really young age, I started hanging out at my grandfather's. He had a dairy farm in Southern Oregon where I grew up, and I would hang out and catch tadpoles in his irrigation ponds, and I just became fascinated with ponds and all the life around them. And it wasn't until high school that my dad and I built a pond in our backyard, and I got my very first hardy water lily. And I didn't know much about water lilies at the time, about the different species or the different hybrids, but it turns out I got one of the Tour Marliac's the first hardy water lily hybrid that he created, which was Marliacea chromatella. So it's kind of a funny thing looking back that I ended up with that as my first water lily. Um, and then from there, I just, I worked at a water garden nursery right out of college. And I just thought what better job could there be than growing these for a living and sharing them with other people. So I feel really lucky to be here at the Denver Botanic Gardens doing just that. That's awesome that you were able to fulfill a dream. You mentioned Latour Marliac, who was he? Yeah, so the Frenchman Joseph Bory Latour Marliac, he is considered kind of the father of hardy water lily hybridization. 
and one of the greatest water lily hybridizers in history. So later in his life, starting in the late 1800s, he began creating these hardy water lily hybrids from species that he sourced from around the world. So the native species in Europe is Nymphia alba, and he got other species like our North American Nymphia odorata and Nymphia mexicana, some different species, and he started doing crosses. So the one that's native to Europe is just a pure white flower, but he was able to get hybrids that had bloom colors from light yellow to pale pink, even to fuchsia and deep red. So those were some of the first colorful water lilies that people saw in Europe. And they actually first saw those with a display that he did at the World's Fair in Paris in 1889. And that's where Monet first saw them as well. And so Monet was fascinated with them and immediately contacted Marliac and wanted to purchase the water lilies. And so that's where Monet actually sourced his water lilies. That's the source of many hardy water lily hybrids that people grow all over the world now. So a lot of the growers in France, they consider themselves kind of the, the home of new water lily hybrids. Yeah. And he, he created over a hundred hybrids actually. Wow. And if you're looking at the paintings, I don't think there's any painting that just has white. There are so many different colors. Yeah, it's a lot of the pastel, the softer colors. And I think he really accurately depicted the colors of the blooms and the leaves in his paintings. So I think he was definitely trying to portray the lilies, the colors and everything very accurately to what he was seeing. What makes water lilies thrive? Water lilies thrive in still water in spots that receive a lot of sunlight each day, so six hours minimum. That's when they grow and bloom best. Each flower lasts about three days. It opens in the morning and closes in late afternoon. They only last three days? For each bloom, and they keep producing new blooms throughout the entire season. That feels so short-lived to me. I've read that Monet had gardeners who were responsible for dusting his water lilies. I read that too. I thought that was so funny. Is that a real thing? It is actually. I wouldn't call it dusting, but we wash off the pads. So right now you can see on the surface of the ponds a little film of pollen even. So they might have been washing off pollen from trees. Or sometimes when they're rising up out of the mud, the leaves will get a little bit of the mud that dries on the surface. So they would maybe wash that off. But I read that also. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) The lily dusters. Perfectionism. (laughs) He was so obsessive about it. I want to get at the sensory aspect, so I was wondering, what do water lilies feel like? Are they fragile? Do you, do you get to touch them? Yeah, definitely. The hardy water lilies aren't as fragile as they appear. The leaves have a waxy coating, so it's smooth, kind of waxy feel to the leaves. Um, and the flower petals as well are smooth and almost like a waxy feel. It helps them to repel, like rainwater kind of just beads up and washes right off can also carry debris with it as it washes off. So they're not that fragile. One thing that does make them fragile is if water lilies are removed from the water with the water level dropping um, or even working to divide them, if they're out of the water for too long, if they're in the sun, they dry out really quickly. So the plant is not putting much energy into protecting itself from desiccation. It's putting its energy into bloom production. The stems aren't sturdy like a lot of plants we're familiar with. They actually are using the buoyancy of the water to support them. 
So when you take them out of the water, they just are really fragile, kind of they just flop right down. So then what's the function of the lily pad? The water lily leaves, also known as pads, float on the surface, and their main role is to soak up as much sunlight as possible to aid the plant with photosynthesis. But another benefit and how they fit into the whole pond ecosystem is that they shade the water beneath them, and that helps to reduce algae growth. It also provides protection for insects and fish that can hide underneath those pads. Oh, that's interesting. I was expecting the answer to be about buoyancy. Water lily stems and the leaves have tiny air pockets that keep them buoyant in the water. They're also able to grow really quickly in response to fluctuation in water levels. So if the water got deeper, it would only take probably less than 24 hours and the leaves would be back up at the surface. Something you said made me think about how, are the waters kind of murky? Is it hard to see in? And the reason I ask that question is because there are some letters and accounts of Monet being very frustrated. Like, he wanted to see what was beneath and trying to capture the entire life of the water lily. I think, yeah, in general, most ponds aren't crystal clear, so you're not going to be able to see very far beneath the surface of the water. And that's another reason that the pads are designed by the plant to float right on the surface, because the sunlight doesn't penetrate very far into the water. So the pads are right there at the surface, able to soak up all that sunlight. Okay, great. And as someone who spends so much time with these plants, Tamara, when you look at a water lily, what do you see or what do you feel? So I was just thinking like what I feel normally when I look at water lilies is how tranquil they are, how tranquil they make you feel, how calming they are, the way that the blooms catch the sunlight as they float on the surface. And I think a lot of our visitors come here and sit beside the pond and get that same feeling and that beneficial effect of just kind of a calm oasis in the middle of a crazy city. And then when you look at Monet's paintings of the water lilies, do they have that same effect for you? What I was thinking when I was looking at Monet's paintings is that I think he put a lot of attention into detail and making sure they were accurate to the plants, like the spacing of the blooms, the way, the growth habit of the plant, the color of the leaves, the color of the blooms, it's all very accurate to what you would see with your own eye. But the way that he painted it, the style, to me kind of brings in more of that feeling of tranquility and almost like a magical element. That's a big part of what this exhibition is about. He's really on this quest. He's our hero and his whole goal is to find the truth of nature. So it's interesting to hear from your perspective that he really did. I think so. He really did capture the true essence of the plants, but then the style that he used to portray them brings in kind of that feeling that you get when you look at a pond filled with water lilies. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at Monet's later paintings of the pond, you almost feel immersed. Almost like he had waders on and he maybe was wading out into the pond. Just the vantage point there. <laughs> this has been so fascinating, Tamara. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond Monet. Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature is on view at the Denver Art Museum through February 2nd, 2020. For information about this exhibition, visit www.denverartmuseum.org. Music was generously provided by the Denver Philharmonic Orchestra. This podcast was produced by Postmodern Company in Denver, Colorado. Please check out the other episodes in this series. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. 